I heard a rumor that you watched all the new episodes of the Umbrella Academy before listening to this podcast. Otherwise, things 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 I mean, when I'm writing anything, I'm sitting in front of my computer with a piano, you know, like I have a keyboard, or I'll sometimes sit in front of my piano and just sketch out melodies or whatever. Sometimes I'm messing around with a synthesizer to try to find something to inspire me to write something. That's Jeff Russo. Jeff is a film and TV composer in Los Angeles. He's written scores for shows like Fargo and Star Trek Discovery. In 2018, he started working on a new project, The Umbrella Academy. Jeff got his start as the lead guitarist for the rock band Tonic. But guitar isn't always his main instrument. To find just the right melody, the right beat, Jeff will play on almost anything. It all depends on the project. You know, sometimes I'm sitting in front of a bunch of instruments, you know, like a couple stringed instruments and some percussion instruments in a room where I just sort of bang on something until I'm inspired to to write something. It, it really all depends on what I'm writing and what I want to end up with. But he can't bring a piece to life alone. He needs an orchestra to fill out his idea. But when COVID-19 hit, he found himself facing a new obstacle. And once the lockdown happened, I had to figure out how to record our orchestra, which is, is pretty big. It's usually around 40 some odd players. And I had to figure out how to do that. So, you know, the general instrumentation of the show is strings and winds, woodwinds, and a little bit of percussion. The Hollywood Symphony Orchestra is Jeff's go-to when he's recording a soundtrack. Usually, they would all sit together in a big studio in L.A. to record. Now, they had to do it alone, piece by piece. We figured out how to record all the different pieces individually in people's homes and then sort of put it together like a, a jigsaw puzzle. That meant recording strings, piano, woodwinds, bass, and percussion completely separate. This season has a total of 172 original songs. And with 30 to 40 musicians to record, that totaled to well over 6,000 different audio files to be compiled, edited, and mixed together. Um, I have a recording engineer and mixer who, under the current circumstances, works a lot harder than, than before because now we're recording 30 discrete individual musicians and putting it all together and mixing it all together and, and getting it to sound like they played in one room. And it has worked out extremely well, much to my, my happiness and joy. <laughs> This is Behind the Scenes, The Umbrella Academy, season two. I'm your host, Brandon Jenkins. Any fan will tell you that this show's unconventional use of music is central to the feel of the series. It's no coincidence that the comics that inspired the show were conceived by a musician, the singer Gerard Way, and that the series is made by a bunch of music fanatics. So today, we'll be talking to the team about how you can put modern music in a period show how lyrics can take on a new life in the script, and how Gerard Way was inspired by season one to write an original song for season two. When you were first writing the graphic novels with uh, Gabriel, 
were you listening to any particular type of music at the time that was sort of like inspiring what you were doing? Yeah, absolutely. There was a ton of stuff I was listening to, but a, a lot of it, like I would just keep certain albums on repeat. This is Gerard Way, the lead singer of My Chemical Romance and the creator of the Umbrella Academy graphic novels. So like Doolittle by the Pixies. That was one I would, the Pixies, I was listening to a lot of when I was writing Umbrella Academy. There's a lot of like imagery that's conjured up through the Pixies, even for their album artwork, you know, like Monkey's Gone to Heaven. I thought about monkeys and, um, Mm. you know, Frank Black's lyrics are really abstract and made me think of like strange things or really interesting images. Um, So the Pixies were like a big part of the Umbrella Academy writing process. And there's this one Smashing Pumpkin song called Tarantula that I listened on repeat for a whole issue. And I just listened to it (laughs) over and over. How important is music to the feel of the show and to the characters that we get to see on screen? Music's really important to the show, but that's totally Steve. Steve is Steve Blackman, the showrunner of the Umbrella Academy. The things that we do discuss together involving music are the cover songs that I do for the show. So like he'll kind of pitch me on something and I'll, you know, sometimes I'll pitch him on something. Like I remember um, that I pitched him on Hazy Shade of Winter, but he pitched me on the Turtle song. Um, So we're really collaborative when it comes to the songs that I'm contributing to the show. But the soundtrack is all Steve. On a scale of one to ten, how important would you say the music of Umbrella Academy is? Uh, a strong 10 plus. <laughs> this, of course, is Steve Blackman. Why Why is that? I mean, like, why is it such, such a powerful, not even character, but force in the making of the show? Well, I love music. Uh, music is, is a big part of my life. When I first mixed the show, I said to the mixers, I said, you know, crank the volume on the music. The music is a character. <laughs> and they're like, no, no, it doesn't mix. Well, I said, guys, turn it up. So we kept turning it up. Because I said, like, music in a show inspires you. If you It can help you feel sad. It can help you feel happy. It can want, make you want to get up on your feet and move. So early on, I'd pl- I, I wanted music to be a big thing. Growing up, what type of music were you into? I was into everything. I mean, I was, in, I was a kid who sort of came into music in the 80s. So I listened to everything from, you know, punk rock to, you know, the ballads of the day. There was, I, I just loved it. I mean, I, I always had it playing. I, my Walkman was always in my pocket. Boy, I just aged myself at that <laughs> comment. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of inspirations. You know, at home, I, my parents listened to Frank Sinatra and those kind of crooners. And if you know us from the show, I do use a lot of yeah. the, the crooners in, in the show. We got Bobby Darren and Frank Sinatra. And then, you know, I will listen to ABBA without shame. And I will listen to, you know, Kiss when I want to, you know, rock. There are a number of different ways Steve and the music team find just the right songs for the show. And inspiration can come from all kinds of places. Diego's hallway fight at the Mexican embassy. Did you try it with songs or with score? Or how did you decide, like, which song to, to roll out with? Th- that one was interesting. It, I always wanted it to be music, not score, a needle drop. A needle drop is a term from when you take an existing song from the real world and use it to score a scene. And the reason is it was a really big fight. And I thought this was a perfect opportunity to play something, you know, big and rocking and to really make you feel what Diego's feeling that it's, 
you know, the just the whole gravitas, the scale of what this fight is. There's people downstairs. Everyone's punching everyone upstairs. I I had Kiss on in the background, and by fluke, I pulled that up watching it, and I'm like, okay, this is working really well together. I just turned down the volume of the show, let the Kiss song play, and I'm like, this works. Five. So that one was a bit of a fluke where I just happened to be playing some Kiss, and I watched the picture, and it felt right to me. Please tell me it was the Kiss vinyl playing. Kiss vinyl, man, all the way. Of course, you have the vinyl with all its little scratches. I had scratches on it. It was great. No, it was vinyl. So believe it or not, I tried a Miley Cyrus cover of Dolly Parton, Jolene. We couldn't quite get the clearance on that song, which is one of the issues we deal with is clearing. And sometimes we can clear a song, sometimes we can't. Clearing is getting permission from a song's owner in order to use it in the show. But Steve doesn't deal with clearance. And he doesn't choose all the songs himself. For season two, he hired a professional. I have Jen Malone. She's an amazing music supervisor. So she lives music as well. And she comes to me and says, here's three great options for this scene. And sometimes I'll go to her and say, you know, does this song work? What do you think of this song there? And together we'll sort of have a great back and forth uh, until we find the right fit. The first song that we had got denied. And then, you know, we tried a lot of different songs there. And Steve went with Kiss, I Was Made for Loving You. This is Jen Malone. And I remember kind of being like, hmm, okay, that's an interesting choice. But his vision was to have a song there that like, you know, I remember him saying like, I just want a song that just completely doesn't belong there. (laughs) I was like, okay, (laughs) Kiss, I Was Made For Loving You definitely does not belong in that spot. You may not recognize Jen's name, but you know her work. She's basically the gold standard when it comes to her field. I am the music supervisor for Euphoria. I do also Atlanta. By the way, Jen has been nominated for Emmy Awards for her work on both of those shows. I'm curious to sort of like your process of collaboration. Do you all make playlists together or sort of like place music for scenes separately and then come together and say, oh, we like this or we like that? Or is there like a group brainstorm maybe? It's a little bit of both. On Spotify, I have a playlist that's about like 500 songs right now. And yeah, those are the songs that, yeah, like I'll find something and just be like, happen to have a spot for it, which is great. Steve and I do have a playlist of just cool songs that may or may not make it into season two, maybe season three or four. We have about like 75 songs right now. So what we do is when we need a song for a spot, I would submit the options. The editors would cut them in and then Steve would watch them. And and sometimes it's, no, none of these are working for me. Let's try a couple more. Or he will have an idea of let's try this song. And then we put it in or, you know, to take it a step further, it will be, well, is this something that can be scored? Can this be a score moment? And it's also, you know, a dialogue of, well, you know, what are you feeling for the scene? And, and you know, what's your, what's your vibe? And so it's just a constant conversation. When it comes to like mining songs to at least submit and present and say, okay, does this work? Is it, you know, you kind of talked about like, you know, making playlists. But do you ever have moments where you have to go and find analog stuff like 
Uh, I guess CDs can be considered analog at this point. Like CDs or cassette tapes or vinyls are really dead. No, 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 no. I have to. I have to go to the rights holders because I don't want to um, pitch something mm. that we can't have. So it's a lot of just you know digging and finding who owns the rights. Hey, is this clearable? Any red flags? No. Okay, send me the MP3. And then we'll yeah. try it. Yeah, I was just as soon as you said it, I was like, okay, this makes immediate sense. Like you don't want to find that that song that maybe fits great or feels great, but then it's like, who does this belong to? You know, and like, can we even access this person's estate or get them to clear it? No, yeah, t totally. I have tons of clearance nightmare stories. <laughs> when using music that travels across genres and time, Jen explains that the next question is how music will work in the scene. One of the most important distinctions for a music supervisor is will the song be diegetic or non-diegetic? Diegetic is music that the characters hear, the music that is in the world of the narrative. Mm. So radio source, bar source, something that, that the characters are hearing. Non-diegetic would be, you know, music that is over a montage, let's say. So music that the characters are not hearing. It doesn't live in the world of, of the narrative. That's interesting. It's sort of like... If you were in a museum and like you could look in a picture and see something in the scene versus the actual like design of the museum, like the space that you're in looking at this frame. I'm wondering, is that like is that something you all take uh, into heavy consideration when thinking about the viewer at home of like, is this going to take them out of the scene? Is this going to uh, pull them further in? Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's one of the um, and that's a great point of fighting songs that don't that don't take you out of the scene. Um and, you know, it's finding music that supports the scene, that kind of just fits underneath and just lifts the scene. So definitely you don't want to be taking viewers out of it. So that's just, you know, that just comes down to trying different songs and, and seeing what, what feels right. Even without the hassle of clearing songs, figuring out what kind of music goes where and what the song means takes a lot of work. And even though the show takes place in the 1960s, Jen and Steve didn't want to limit themselves to the period. For some scenes, it's the energy that matters most, the mood the music sets. Take, for example, Luther's first boxing match, featuring DJ Shadow and De La Soul's Rocket Fuel, a song that dropped in 2019. For a song and scene like that, it feels like um, one of the more important factors might be pacing over instead something like lyrics, maybe? Yeah, I mean, lyrically, you know, it kind of starts off like, are you ready? You know, so I think getting, you know, getting into the boxing scene, I think that kind of worked. But also, you know, a lot of the songs we do edit, you know, there's a lot of really cool edits. We have such talented editors on the show. And so they were able to kind of do some slow-mo, just really kind of fancy editing that worked with the song. In the scene, the first glimpse we get is of Luther, bare-knuckle boxing in a grungy underground ring. He takes hit after hit. Punches are thrown in slow motion, then sped up again, keeping time with the music. Luther seems to be losing, until he gets a nod from the boss. And that's when Luther does what he does best, and pummels his opponent. We don't use a lot of hip hop in the show, and this definitely has a hip hop old school, you know, backpack type of vibe. And so it was really, really different 
than kind of than the rest of the music in the show. It just lend itself really, really nicely for the scene. You know, it's a hype song. That's what makes Umbrella Academy soundtrack so special. Rocket like rocket fuel. I want to talk about one more scene when Five fights himself. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I love that you just started laughing immediately. Um, for that scene, you chose B- Billy Idol's Dancing With Myself. Can you kind of talk us through the uh, the moment you chose that song? Yeah, it's actually Generation X, which was Billy Idol was the lead singer. So this song, I actually remember. Um, so it was Friday afternoon, the day after the Guild of Music Supervisors Awards, which I I won for Euphoria, which I was super psyched about. So needless to say, I had a lot of fun. <laughs> so this was one where I was just like, okay, we need this by the end of the day today. And I sat down and paperwork was done and it was kind of quiet. And I just kind of sat there. I was like, okay, I don't, I got to figure out where to start. Like which playlist should I go to? Which era, which genre, which, you know, just kind of where's my, my starting point. And then just, it kind of was one of those moments where it just came to me. I was like, oh, dancing with myself. I mean, it's it's funny, it's ironic, it fits. I know Steve loves his his 80s. And so that was one that I was just like, can you just put this one in? I'll I'll, you know, and and just show it to Steve to kind of stalled so that I could also figure out if there were any alts. But I was so, so excited for this one. It was one of those where it was like, oh, my work is done. <laughs> like after I tried it to, you know, but, but, um, and everybody was just, you know, they loved it. Netflix loved it. So that was just, it, it was and it was one of those where I will never forget where I was in picking that one in my state of mind. We'll leave it at that. Music isn't just used in the traditional way. The show uses a mix of scoring and some hits you might recognize. But Steve in his writer's room also used music lyrics in the script. When Klaus starts a cult, instead of preaching traditional religious teachings, he quotes pop songs. The joke of the show, I came up with the idea that he was just quoting other famous lyrics from music. So he's a little like me where I quote music lyrics every now and then. But he'd take it to the extreme. Any nuggets of wisdom that you can give to me? Don't go chasing waterfalls. Stick to the rivers and the lakes that you're used to. That's so deep. Hello, I'm Captain Robert Sheehan. That Irish accent you just heard isn't a captain. It's Robert Sheehan, the actor that plays Klaus on Umbrella Academy. He's a creature of many masks. Do you know what I mean? And his great skill, I think, is adaptability transformation. And that means, you know, survival first. So I think if even if you dropped him in medieval times, he'd probably shake something about, you know what I mean? He'd probably, uh, he'd probably uh, you know, grow his hair long and pretend to be the new Jesus. But your scriptures say, as long as I know how to love, I know I'll stay alive. That's, I, but, that, but, but, but that's not scripture. <laughs> Okay, that's a song lyric by Disco Diva, Gloria Gaynor. And I stole it. Gloria Gaynor? But it's Klaus's last teaching that is my absolute favorite. So there's Everybody by the Backstreet Boys. 
And I'm wondering how that one comes together. That was a really funny one. I was uh, I was in Toronto where we shoot the show. I was with a few of the other writers that I'd flown up because I needed their help. And we were all up there. It was very late at night. Uh, we might have had a cocktail or two. And we were trying desperately to figure out you know, how to work that scene. And it was, it had to be a great moment because there were great VFX that were going to happen that moment between, you know, Klaus and Ben. But we wanted a song that sort of explained how Klaus's teachings would have worked over the three years as a cult leader. So we thought, what would be sort of a wonderfully absurdist thing he could say as his parting words to Kichi and the cult that he's never going to see again? What sort of lyrics? And then we remembered the lyrics to that song. We thought they're just... I mean, we love the Backstreet Boys, but those lyrics are kind of don't make a whole lot of sense when you hear them together. Oh my God, we're back again. Brothers, sisters, everybody sing. And we said, that's the perfect song. So they sound sort of profound. They don't at the same time. And that's the last lyrics Klaus is going to tell his followers before he runs. Plus, it's a kick-ass <laughs> song. We just love the song. We're going to bring you the flavor. We're going to show you how. Again. Were there other songs you considered for that scene? Not really. And we all just laughed and said, it's perfect. We played it, I think, you know, 11, 12 at night. We said we got the song. We just, we danced around in the office together. Yeah, dare I say it might be timeless. I might go on record as saying that song might be timeless. What makes Umbrella Academy Season 2 different from other shows, and even from Season 1, is that in addition to an original score and covers and needle drops, there is also original Gerard Way music. So Steve came to me for season two for the trailer and he wanted another cover song. And I think Netflix wanted that too. And then I just said to Steve, I was like, Steve, I have this song that I wrote. I started writing the very first day of Umbrella Academy shooting, the very first scene, which is the last scene of the first episode between Ellen and Aiden in her apartment. I'll put on a pot of coffee. And I kept picturing, after Ellen would deliver her line, I'll put on a pot of coffee, I kept picturing it cutting to black. And then I kind of heard this song in my head, kind of Velvet Underground-ish type song, maybe a little bit like Rolling Stones too. And so when I Mm. went home, I started recording that song, but then I never finished it. And so I said to Steve for season two, I said, you know, I have this song, let me send you the really rough demo. I was like, there's no vocals on the chorus, it's totally unfinished, but try to picture this in the trailer. And he loved it, and that will be a brand new song in the trailer for season two. Even going over the hurdles, that's just tight to like have something that you were inspired by, like from the beginning of season one and then to throw it in season two. I know. I think it's really <laughs> awesome. Next week, 
we'll find out how the Umbrella team fights with the family, with the commission, and with Canadian weather. And I'll never forget Steve just kind of starting to laugh, like looking at all of us, like, you guys are, you guys are going to hate me. Yeah, I remember the day that we shot that and my heart was going to fall out of my chest. Throwing me under the bus. No, it was really hard for me. It just, it did not come naturally. We went away for a day, we came back and there's four feet of snow on the ground. Behind the Scenes, The Umbrella Academy is a Netflix and Pineapple Street Studios production. I'm your host, Brandon Jenkins. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thanks for listening.